right, welcome back to Inside Flicks. This is a movie discussion podcast where uh, myself, my name is Mike, that I have a discussion <laughs> with my two brothers. I, you know, I gotta really figure out a, a great intro for this. But anyway, we're a bunch of uh, uh, cinephiles. We love movies. We get together. We talk about movies. We talk about TV. And we haven't really done a, uh, a audio podcast in for a very long time. I think the last one we did, we we, we reviewed Black Panther: Wakanda Forever. So this is actually <laughs> this is actually our last uh, audio podcast for 2022. Uh, so we're gonna just like a random. This is just a bunch of things about about a bunch of movies we saw recently. Uh, what, what should we first start start with? Or should we talk about Violent Night? I guess really quick. Yeah, let's do that because the, the three of us saw it. Okay, uh, I fell asleep through it. It's all right. Good. Uh, wait, wait, hold on, hold on. So, Violet Night is a movie that we saw, or at least I saw during the Christmas day. And uh, Raymond, actually, you saw this the second week it came out in theaters. Yeah, second weekend. And so this is uh, David Harbor. He is a Santa Claus. Uh, he is the Santa Claus, and he gets stuck in a terrace situation i guess or home invasion situation where a, f- a rich family gets invaded die hard in mansion it's basically die hard yes it's, uh, and so a rich family gets uh, terrorized by a, a gang of terrorists or thieves yeah it's just die hard it's basically die hard but i i would say it's a gruesome version of die hard i mean the a- action wise there's a lot of blood in it when the once the movie gets going it's yeah it's a satirical uh you know christmas version of die hard and that you know when when it when the movie does get going it, it, it's pretty good it's pretty decent yeah i, I enjoyed the movie a lot you know violent night is not a movie that i would say i would you know i wonder i really wonder if i would like the movie if it wasn't around christmas I think maybe I was in the right mood for it, and so I had a fun time watching it. And also, I like David Harbor. He, I think, he was very good as this, you know, this version of Santa Claus. Uh, basically, he's, basically he's Hellboy. Though. The, he's basically <laughs> playing the version of Santa um, from um, that Guillermo del Toro produced uh, animated film. You know, um, oh yeah, yeah, Guardians, the, of the, the Rise of the Guardians. Yeah. <laughs> He's playing. He's playing that version of Santa. Yeah, he's he's and what's the name of that cartoon? He had like uh, tattoos in that one too, right? Yeah, and he has tattoos in I, this one too. <laughs> yeah, it's you know like it's not. There's I wouldn't say this is original, and in fact, they lift a lot of things from Die Hard one and two, and so. Yeah. But I still and, have and the and the funniest sequence of the movie borrows a lot from uh, Home Alone. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the bowling ball sequence you're talking about. Yeah, I, I like that sequence a lot. That's yeah. probably the, uh, one of the only sequences in the movie that uh, made me laugh. And my my problem with the issue, really, my issue with the movie is the first half hour of the film, which just tries to be a straight up comedy, and it just it's painfully unfunny for me. It's kind of like uh, kind of like Adam Sandler humor, <laughs> Adam Sandler movie humor, and um, and it's just rough, man. And it, and what sucks is that it it takes up literally like the first like thirty minutes of the movie, mm-hmm. and the movie's like two hours long, and it's like. You could have really trimmed down a lot of that unnecessary humor and setup, comedy setup, you know, in the first thirty minutes, and really kind of just taking out a few comedic scenes from you know the second half of the movie. And this would be perfect at mm-hmm. ninety minutes. There's no need for this to be two hours. And the stuff that stretches it out is, you know, painfully unfunny. 
Yeah, I didn't have a problem with the the, the comedy per se because I think the it's nece- it's not necessarily telling jokes. It's really just having this mood or this tone, which I thought was a kind of they're they're doing a take on it on the Christmas movie or like the tone of a Christmas movie. Did it work? Not all the time, but it it wasn't that uh, distracting for me. Uh, Rich, you, you, you didn't see. Mo- I mean, you fell asleep. I saw this. the ending. <laughs> so you like the ending the least. Uh, I, 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 I watched about maybe 15, 20 minutes in the beginning. Uh, uh, and then I dozed off, (laughs) I dozed off and I might've opened an eye or two during the film, (laughs) but by the end I woke up and, um, I think, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it from the, the home alone sequences. I stood up, uh, it woke me up and I watched the rest of it. And from what I saw, I liked it. (laughs) Are you going to go back and rewatch it? Maybe by next year. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, Raymond, you didn't like e- Edie, Edie Patterson, who you, who you you know, she's from the, the Gemstones, the Righteous Gemstones. She plays one of the family members. She was all right, but I mean, she didn't really have anything, you know, material-wise to work with. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think that's the thing, right? That none of these guys really have any great kind of uh, comedic. Like, I don't, I'm not blaming the cast. It, right. I mean, it's, it's, it's a terrible screenplay. Well, it's it's such a derivative to of a lot of different things, but I think David Harbour, who you know plays Santa Claus, I liked him so much in this movie, and I just want to see him more of him, and I wouldn't mind seeing a sequel to the movie. So I don't know. I you know the thing is you know so I like this movie. I, I recommend the movie. Uh, certainly, it's a, it's a, you know check your brain at the door type of film, and I think the reason I like and this we should movie, also we should also mention that you recently just watched. Um, uh, Silent Night, uh, Deadly, Deadly Night, Silent Night, Deadly Night, one through five right now, and uh, you know, it, you you saw some pretty bad like right. uh, adult Christmas movies. So <laughs> I'm sure in comparison, Violent Night's like a masterpiece. It is. So Violent Night comes from after a string of, of, of a lot of killer Santa Claus movies that I saw this year. So I, I went to see, or I, I went to see, I I, I checked out uh, a couple movies this year for the first time. Silent Night franchise. So I saw one and two. And I missed three and four, but I saw the the last one, Toy Maker, with a great performance by Mickey Rooney. <laughs> All of it's cheesetastic. It's cultish. It's you know those are the type of the movies where you go, it's it's so bad it's good. That type of films. Uh, I also saw a a movie called Christmas Evil, which I really really enjoyed. I think that's probably the better of the group, um, where it features a killer Santa Claus. I think it's more. Um, uh, I think it's more like a taxi driver, you know, than a slasher film. It's about a guy who kind of uh, loses it and he, you know, he's wearing a Santa Claus and, you know, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like taxi driver. It's like this working class dude who kind of, uh, you know, the pressures of the world gets to him. It came out in 1980. Apparently this was a big, of uh, John, John Waters was a big fan of this movie and helped it, helped it come out of, you know, helped it from its obscurity to, to make it to a cult film. It's available on Tubi if you if you want. Mm. But I thought it was a really fascinating film. It's not like, again, it's, when we're dealing with killer Santa Claus genre, they're, they're not that great. They're not great movies. But the, this was, I think, better, the, the best one out of the, out of the bunch. Um Another killer Santa one. Oh, I saw recently that was on Shudder. And I think you saw this too, Raymond. It's Bloody Christmas or Christmas, Bloody Christmas. 
This one features um, the the killer robot, the Santa uh-oh. Claus. Yeah, this movie was awful. <laughs> it had so much potential by the premise, and I'd say like the opening, like maybe like two or three minutes of the movie, because you get these like kind of fake ads for the robot mm-hmm. and stuff. I thought, you know, I was like, this movie could be pretty cool. It looked like it would have a, a total grindhouse vibe, but I don't know. It's just so very kind of amateurly shot, and the the, the kills are so boring. It felt like a wannabe, like, Rob Zombie movie. And Rob Zombie's already kind of like a, you know, basically, you know, doing his fan film version of, like, all these kind of old, cold kind of grindhouse films. But Rob Zombie still kind of manages manages to put, like, a signature to it, like his style. His, on, um, this one just kind of felt like, I don't know, an imitation of an imitation of an imitation. And I, I, I kind of hated it. I know a lot. Of, I know this director, uh, the Joe Bezos or whatever, I think... That's his, I think that's his name. I know he has a following, mm-hmm. but uh, I don't know. I this is the first movie of his that I've seen, and I I, I, don't, I don't see why. <laughs> well, I think he's a you know he's a horror fan, and I think he he makes himself available to a lot of these interviews and YouTube channels and stuff like that. So I think that's how he kind of have built a strong or you know, I guess a cult following. Yeah, but I also try you know uh, this is my I think my second film of his, and yeah, he just uh, he. he when you listen to his interviews, great guy. You know he knows his stuff. He's a fan. He's a horror fan. But his movies are just—I don't know. Like you said, it's it comes off a little too amateur. Un maybe it's un you know uh, undisciplined. Maybe sometimes uh, you know. And it is there's there's a really grungy look to the movie that is not pleasant. And it's really just a mixed mixture of Silent Night, Deadly Night, which we just talked about, and also Terminator. The Terminator movies, really, because you know it's featuring a killer Santa Claus robot, and so he becomes at the end of the movie, really becomes a Terminator, and the main protagonist is a woman or a uh, a record store owner who I didn't necessarily like. I mean, I, yeah, the movie it's, it's 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 not that great. I think the premise is fantastic. I I, I love the idea of this you know robotic Santa Claus, but. It didn't really pan out for me. I, 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 yeah, I'll say pass, and it's unfortunate because I was in the I mood agree. for this. I was in the mood for like after watching Silent Night and Daily Night and Christmas Evil and all this stuff. This I was in the worse. mood, but it didn't did work out. Uh, Raymond, let me throw it to you. Uh, pick a movie that you you saw recently so that we could talk about. All right, I watched Avatar: The, the Way of the Water. This is, yeah. I think, this is one of your favorite movies of the year, right? I I, I went to go see it at the uh, TCL Chinese Theater. It's the first movie I ever saw there. I, you know, I'm not a fan of the first Avatar movie. I don't hate it. I think it's just like kind of a C plus movie. It's all right, you know. But I I think the first Avatar is kind of incredibly overrated for being the most successful movie of all time. And I I kind of hate to say it, but I've kind of always been one of those guys that's always like. Yeah, Avatar, not really for me. <laughs> I've always been one of those guys, and I, I never really understood the hype for this movie. So I was hoping that this one kind of win me over and kind of change my opinion of it, and maybe um, uh, maybe I'd see things differently, you know, actually being there from the beginning. But uh, nope. <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't, I still don't understand the hype for Avatar. I thought this movie was so lame. Everything I hate about modern day blockbusters was in this movie times 10. Mm-hmm. 
this movie was just felt like a complete video game. Like I'm not the first one to say it. I, I've noticed in reviews other people are saying it, but that's you know why they're saying it's because it's fucking true. And this whole entire movie feels like just a bunch of video game cutscenes. It's insane. Like I, I was so bored during this movie. I think I fell asleep at some point, but I didn't miss any of the story because <laughs> nothing happens in this movie. <laughs> There's so little plot. It's so thin that you could fall asleep for an hour and you will not miss a thing. Like this movie sucks so, so that's much. That's a good and, thing. That's a good thing. No, <laughs> no, but I mean, let me and, talk to you about this, watching this and watching this in IMAX and 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 you know that in that theater. I was like, what a waste. <laughs> I should have waited for Aquaman two. <laughs> Let me ask you about James Cameron. I mean, what is your feelings about his films, who he is as a filmmaker? I love all his, I guess I love all of his, I've, I've actually, I should say, I've never seen The Abyss, probably mostly because it never came out on Blu-ray. Yeah, I know, I know. Uh, it's kind of become a hard movie to find. But, um, I mean, all his other movies I love, but um, I never, again, I like I was saying earlier, I never loved Avatar. I never hated it. I, I think it's, you know, mm-hmm. From a technical achievement, I, th- I think it's done a lot, and I think you know a lot of the advancements that we see in video games today, you know, came from Avatar and stuff. And you know, I respect the movie from in that regard, but I, I think the movie's overrated, <laughs> and I, I I don't I think it's his weakest movie. But now I think this is his weakest movie, and you know, while I'm not while I want the movie to succeed because I like James Cameron, at the same time I also I'm also kind of now rooting for the movie to fail. <laughs> Because I don't want to, I don't want him to make five more of these. Mm-hmm. Well, it certainly is his last kind of franchise. I mean, he is sixty-eight years old. I think this maybe he's going to be the probably the you know if he continues to do the franchise, those are going to be his last movies. I I think he bet he put everything in that in that in that basket for him. I think he's like betting the, the house on this and. So, you know, say what you will. I haven't well, first I haven't seen the movie, so I I, I should also say really quick though. Um, I didn't like, um, and he didn't direct this movie, but his signature is all over it, really. Mm-hmm. But um, I didn't like Alita Battle Angel. Oh, okay. And I feel like oh, maybe a lot of the people that love Alita Battle Angel are probably going to like Avatar. Um, it's just I'm not I'm not really part of the audience. It's the same reason that I'm you know getting burnt out with the MCU movies. Mm-hmm. I mean this this type of stuff is just kind of irritating me i'm are you, over it are you, and then it's kind of funny that uh, that the stuff that bothers me about uh avatar is the same stuff that bothers me about the marvel movies and cameron has this big beef with marvel movies it's like man your movies are the same shit well i won't say he has a the a big beef but he does try to point out some of the differences between the two films or his style of, of, of box it's, it's the same shit well you say it's the, you say this the same shit but Oh, minus the technical stuff. Minus the technical stuff. But Marvel movies, and you you could agree or disagree, is really a committee. It's done by committee. It's done by a bunch of people in a room. It's not necessarily a visionary or a a vision of a a certain director or voice. It's done by different groups of people and, you know, maybe test marketing. I 100% agree with you. I'm sorry to cut you off. I 100% agree with you. But the thing is, it's still, in the end of the day, it's still kind of the same product. Sure, sure, but don't you think that even even if you hate Avatar, but you have to uh, agree, admit that, no, because it's just a longer, more boring, more expensive version of it. Man, I spent like thirty dollars on that <laughs> ticket. It was not worth it. But it's but it's coming from a one person. I mean, for sure, it's coming from one person. It's not coming from a. If, if it wasn't the same experience, I would agree with you. 
Right, right. I'm, and I'm not saying that, that, that those movies are, you know, just because it's coming from one person doesn't necessarily mean it equals, you know, it equals great entertainment. You know, so you could you could hate a filmmaker. I'm sure. Uh, and I don't hate you, Cameron. I still like the guy. Right. And I think there's a lot to like about the movie, but overall, not enough. I think maybe he has, you know, with Avatar, with these. And, I got, and I'm going to say something controversial. And I'm a big 3D guy. I didn't think the 3D was special. I thought they were going to do something really kind of like that was going to really change the game and make me see 3D in a way that I never saw it before. It's the same 3D that we've been seeing, you know, for the past 10 years. And if, you know, people have been over 3D, then this shouldn't change a thing. No, I don't think so, too. I don't think that I think, unfortunately, the 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 technology behind the way of the water is not as impressive as it was when we got the first Avatar movie. But again, I haven't seen the movie yet. A lot it's, of what what what's impressive about about it is like the frame rate type of stuff and mm-hmm. all of that stuff kind of bothers me because it just makes me it made it feel more like a video game. Okay, it made it feel more like a, a cutscene because it, it it's it's done in the same in the same frame rate and shit and it's just it's weird, man. I mean, to me, the movie felt like watching a yeah, but like a like a YouTube video on on the big screen or something. It was just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And by YouTube video, I meant like a, a gameplay, like, you know, watch me play, you know, video game type of thing. I was like, I, I can't believe, you know, this is what movies have become. <laughs> uh, Rich, uh, pick a movie that we recently saw so we could talk about. Banshees of Inisherin. Oh, yeah. Okay. Banshee, Banshees of Inisherin, which is, uh, it just came out a couple of weeks ago on HBO Max. Uh, Raymond, you saw this movie when it came out in theaters. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is kind of a big buzzy oscar film uh colin colin farrell brendan gleason gleason and who's the writer director martin mcdonnell mcdonnell mm-hmm. uh and they're they're the same team behind in bruges which was a fantastic film and so they kind of reunited for this film uh what's your thoughts on uh the banshees of inna sharon it's it's exactly what people are saying. It's it's a damn it's it's well worthy of an Oscar, on all categories that it's going to be nominated for. I think this is the one that Colin Farrell might actually bring one home for. Um, if not this, a best supporting actor would be great for for, for the Batman. <laughs> um, I think I liked his performance in the Batman more, but I do like it. I do like him in this movie a lot. Yeah. Well, everyone's saying it should be Brendan Fraser, so I, I'm 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 all for Brendan Fraser and Colin Farrell for the Batman. I mean, give it give it to them both that way. Give it to the guys that were like heavy prosthetics. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, and so um, yeah. I mean, this this movie is, is by far one of the best movies of the year for me, especially. I think it's 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 got to be the top three for me. Cool. Um. Yeah, and uh, it's it's worthy of all its praises. Yeah, I mean, I love this movie as well. It's uh, currently my number six favorite favorite uh, movie of the year, and I, I'm not expecting that to change. You know, I don't. I, there's still a couple of movies I need to see, but I'm, I don't think I'm gonna um, like any of them. Uh, any of them as much as of uh, Banshees, but um, yeah. I mean, what really surprised me about the movie was that it it didn't really kind of feel like the a, a type of movie that would have come from uh martin mcdonough after doing uh three billboards this because this, this is his big follow-up to the to that movie and uh three billboards and kind of like all the movies he did before that like in bruges seven psychopaths they kind of felt very kind of like big and uh this felt kind of very small and i, I think uh, richard had said before that this was kind of like a like a 
a, a movie that was kind of shot during the pandemic. And I mean, I guess that kind of really shows in the movie. It kind of makes sense, yes. but it also, I think it brought something very kind of intimate to the movie that um, doesn't always come through in all the movies that were shot during the pandemic. A lot of the movies that were shot during the pandemic, unfortunately feel like movies that, you know, were shot, were shot this way out of necessity. This movie, I don't know. There was some, there was something about it that, um, it's kind of personal in a way, and uh, I, I liked it. And this movie felt uh, it felt very special. It felt very easily like a movie that will probably be added to like the Criterion Collection in the next couple of years, and uh, it, it deserves to be added. <laughs> I I agree with both of you, but I think I didn't like it as much as you two. But then when I think about the movie more, I have a I, I, I find myself liking the movie more and more as I think about it. And as I go, I go through what the movie is about, what what Martin D D McDonald is trying to say, uh, you know, it's very much, you know, because he, I, I kind of consider him like more of a crime thriller guy or someone who, who deals with crime genre or pulpy crime films. And here he is doing, he's really doing a historical drama um, or comedy. Maybe this is a black comedy, really. Mm -hmm. It's set against yeah. the Irish Civil War in 1920s. And so... And you got you know got you got Colin Farrell who's playing a simpleton. He's like a, a village uh, good guy, and then Brendan Gleeson is playing a vinyl uh, a vinyl um, a, a guy who plays a violin, a teacher of violin, a teacher of music, and he is at the point in his life where he want, he's thinking about legacy, and he basically doesn't want to be friends with Colin Farrell's character anymore. And that's basically the, the 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 conceit of the movie. But then it, it, it the movie it's much deeper than just like a breakup film, you know. This is a breakup of a, of a friendship film. It, it, I think it, it talks about legacy. It talks about what is nice. What does it mean to be nice? Mm -hmm. What what does legacy? Do you need to leave it? Do you need to be nice to leave a legacy? I think it talks about a lot of things uh, that uh, people are talking about nowadays. You know, like how we idolize our heroes and sometimes when we learn bad things about our heroes that we want to cancel them you know because they're not nice and we don't want to talk to them or we don't want to you know we don't want to see their movies we don't want to hear about their legacy anymore you know i think this movie really kind of t touches on those kind of issues and i think that's what makes the movie a much deeper film i don't know what's, what's your thoughts on, on what the movie you know what the movie's trying to say a little bit the movie's trying to say who's the real asshole <laughs> 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 that's that's basically what the movie well, is. I, I, there's Who's, a moment there's a moment the real where, asshole in the situation yeah there's a there's a great moment in the movie where colin farrell is like why is he not talking to me I, you know i'm a good guy i'm a yeah. good guy and then brandon gleason's like uh i don't want to talk to you You're, i don't want to talk to you blah 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 and then this you know colin farrell's si sister is played by carrie condon another who, fantastic performance yeah so f fantastic irish actress Great, and she goes, "You both suck," or <laughs> Some, mm -hmm. something that I equivalent in the movie. Mm -hmm. I don't care. You both suck, and I think that was perfect. That's a perfect way to to capsulize, summarize what we're doing right now when we kind of talk about, like, say, filmmakers nowadays or actors. You know, or, I was or, listening to uh, a well, I was listening to or, a pod, well, or politics or politics exactly. I was listening to a, po a podcast where they were debating on the on the legacy of Bill Murray because of the recent allegations <laughs> he had like, Oh, I can't, I can't watch his movies anymore because he's a fucking asshole or something like that. And I think this movie's trying to say who cares or yeah. what's the, what's the difference or 
what is legacy? What is legacy? What is nice? And what who is nice? And who, who like? And, and does it matter? Does it matter? I don't know. Raymond, do you feel any of that when you watch the movie or think about the movie? A little bit, but I haven't really you know thought about it deeply. But I, yeah, I do think all of that is there. Yeah. And I think in a lot of ways, it's it's a much better film. Well, first of all, it is a much better film than Tar, which we <laughs> recently saw just like last yesterday. I, I, I didn't watch Tar. You didn't watch Tar, but me and Rich saw Tar. And it was just an excruciating film to watch. Frustrating film. Yeah. Grant you a wonderful performance by Kate uh, Blanchett. And she's most likely... Uh, yeah, I know, and she's most likely she's gonna get nominated, and she might even pick up the an Oscar nominate or Oscar award. But it's such a cru- frustrating watch because here's a character I don't really necessarily care about. I I don't even care if she's nice or mean or whatever. I don't even have a big opinion of the character. There's some relevations or or reveals in the movie where I go, oh, that's interesting. But is it, why do I have to watch this two hour and, you know, 30 plus, yeah, two hour, 30 minute movie and really get into where I think this movie says a lot of the same things, says about, uh, about who we considered, what does, who, who do, who deserves a legacy, you know, nice Mm -hmm. or not. And I think it just has a much richer and much, much, much more flavor film. I, I, I don't know. I, I like I said, the more I think about the movie, the more I really, really enjoyed it. It is definitely one of my favorite movies of the year. And uh, another theme to this the to this type of situation on the both of these films is in another movie that's just as fantastic as the other ones um, uh, called Triangle of Sadness. Yes, and and it it, it it's um. What is it? A Dutch film? Was it? Or what, what, well, I mean, it's it's mostly in English, but I mean, the 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 writer director is, uh, I believe his name is Ruben Sut- Sutlin. He's a Swedish filmmaker. He he's the one who's uh, most known for The Square and Force Majeure. Oh, okay, The Square, yeah, the Australian film, right? No, no, it's a Swedish. Oh, okay. Oh, oh okay, the other one. Okay. But this is like a, a deeply satirical black comedy. It has Woody Harrelson. It's probably the biggest name. Uh, at least he's the American in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a really fantastic performance by, what's her name, Rich? Charby Char- Dean. Char- she's a South African actress who uh, uh, sadly passed away this year. Tragically. Yeah, horrifically, man. Yeah. She I mean, she, she was, I, I don't know what the, the it was just, just like a, a freak uh a disease like a bacterial disease or something that i mean she was only 32 years old and she and she gives like a, a career a winning i believe performance. i believe it was something to do with you know, she she survived a, a car crash in the in 2008 and it had something to do with her spleen at the time or something like that oh some okay of, and uh, i believe it's some, some kind of uh you know some kind of um causes you know, some uh, something some some something like, related some to kind that. of some kind of infection uh, just hit her out of the blue, whatever. Basically. It's it's really tragic because I think she does a fantastic performance in this. Yeah, and this was definitely a breakthrough performance from her, and yes. she she was definitely going places after the, with this film, and uh, it's very ah, uh, it's just so tragic. It is you know, tra- uh, sadness. It's yeah, it's sad. It's a it's yeah, a tri- a triangle of sadness really. But I, I the the satirical, you know, like I think people complain about about this movie about being too heavy-handed with the metaphors you know this is really about us about society about america it's about whatever 
and sure, it's a you know it, the the metaphor is, is in your face. It's about who the haves and the have nots and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's also it's a fantastic satire. I was laughing my whole way through the movie. It's sick. It is gross at times, and but it's also <laughs> it's also like. I think it was, uh, you know, once you get to the second half of the movie, it turns into something else and becomes more uh, a survival thriller, satire, I mm-hmm. guess. But, I mean, I think, you know, it's really, to give you a quick idea of what the movie's about, it's really, we were focused on these group of people, rich people, stuck on a, a um, cruise. The cruise goes awry, I guess you could say. I, I it's it's I, I think it's a I, I, this is one of my favorite movies of the year. I I, I really Definitely. really enjoyed this movie a lot. Yeah, uh, I agree. It's one of the best films of the year, and it, it won uh, a Palm d'Or for the director Ruben Ostlan. And uh, um, I, I uh, did he also write it? Also, yeah, yeah, shit, yeah. It, it reminded me of last year's uh, big hit uh, for me, at least, the worst person in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, it has some, you know, the same kind of like tones and stuff. Like, I mean, you know, yeah, um, I think you could say that's a little bit of a dark satire as well. And it's, it's, it's as parasite that, that same tone, but, uh, you know, class. Uh, yeah, it's, yes, it's definitely talking about class. There's a class consciousness about the film too. Uh, and speaking of such, it, it reminds me of the white Lotus, right? The, the, at least, oh, at least the yeah. first season of white Lotus, which I, I, and I'm a big fan of the white Lotus. I seen, I just recently saw season two. And I enjoy that that show, so I I think yeah I think if you're a fan of the White Lotus I think you will like uh, Triangle of Sadness it has the same kind of ideas and I I think it's brilliant and I think it's a it's a it's a fantastic film. Uh, Raymond, it, did you see anything recently you want to talk about real quick? Um, I've mostly just been rewatching older movies again, uh, but I did rewatch um, Reservoir Dogs, mm-hmm. 4K Blu-ray, it looks incredible. Um, what else I rewatched? Oh, I guess you know, like Mike, I also watched a bunch of the Silent Night, Deadly Night movies. You know, in the Christmas spirit, I watched <laughs> one, two, three, and five, and um, they're terrible. <laughs> All of them. Don't listen to Mike. Even five is terrible. Mickey Rooney's not that good in it. How dare you? <laughs> Gives an Oscar-worthy uh, performance. Nah, <laughs> nah. I mean, he gives a serviceable performance, but. <laughs> But everyone else in the movie is so so bad in it. Yeah, that's that it true. That's better. true. That's that is damn true. That and Toy Maker, <laughs> yeah, you know, Silent Night, Deadly Night number five, Toy Maker, which really feels like it could have been its own movie. Mickey Rook play pretty much plays a toy manager or toy maker of his own shop. He has a son. He has a a teenage boy who's named Pino, uh, and they're kind of they're they become part of the story but we don't know why just yet it really kind of focused on this young uh, uh family or this young girl with a uh, with a son i you know the movie i don't know if the movie makes any sense it, it doesn't and but once you get to the end and once it kind of gives you this it becomes this really dark fantasy i guess you could say uh something in the vein of pinocchio i w- i just thought it went it went cra- it's it's so batshit crazy I appreciate that it went there, <laughs> even though it doesn't make any fucking sense. Even though Mickey Ro- Rooney is giving it his all, and he does, and everyone doesn't really deserve it. But I don't know. I had a fun time watching it, and I, maybe it, it helped that it's it's Christmas time, and I was in the right mood. But yeah, yeah, no, these movies are not great. Yeah, yeah, Silent Night franchise <laughs> is not great at all. 
Yeah, uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night Part Five made me appreciate the first one. Uh, wh- what was your feelings on the on the transfer, the video transfer for for Reservoir Dogs, the 4K disc? I'm blown away by it because I really? honestly think it's it might be like the it might be my favorite 4K transfer so far that I've seen. Like it, it's really just one of the most impressive discs I've seen. And um, I think if uh, you own a 4K player and you're a fan of the movie, I mean, you got to own it. I mean, it's it's 100% worth the upgrade. Uh, it, the movie has never looked as good. Yeah, I, I, you, know, I, I, you know, I probably only saw Reservoir Dogs. I certainly remember watching it on VHS. Did we, Rich, mm-hmm. was there a laser disc of Re- Reservoir Dogs? I don't even remember. A laser? Did we say that a laser? Uh, yes. A laser disc. Yes. yes. So that might be the best quality we've seen the movie in. But uh, I mean, you, you got to give it to. No, I had the Blu-ray. You had I mean, yeah, the, the, I had the DVD. Yeah, it's just the DVD, right? So I, I mean, wait. Well, you have to give it to Quentin Tarantino to really under. Even back then, when this is his first movie or his first, yeah, that was his first movie, right? Mm-hmm. Even back then, to really understand the quality of film or the the quality of look. I mean, I remember that kind of warehouse scene, where every, I mean, it's, it's basically set in the warehouse, but I mean, it looked fantastic. It, it, it he understood. Lighting, lighting, how to light a set, how to make it look good. The cinematographer, of course, he's working with the cinematographer for cinematographer there. But I, you, I don't think he gets a much that much credit for his 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 visual design in his movies. Everyone just talks about his dialogue or his plot twists and his characters. They, they rarely talk about like the the visual look of of a Quentin Tarantino movie. But his movies look awesome. Always look, they always look awesome. Okay, I don't disagree with you. <laughs> well, which uh, is there a movie that you didn't like? His no, I'm saying I'm saying I don't disagree with you. I oh, disagree. Think, yeah. You know, I I just think people um, uh, you know, talk about you know the other stuff like his dialogue because it's easier than talk about than you know describing you know shots and describing mm-hmm. you know it's just easier to talk about the dialogue than all the descriptive stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he's it's, it's a lot more than just feet. <laughs> <laughs> But it is a big part of it. <laughs> uh, Rich, do you want to talk about the Fablemans real quick? Yeah. It's not hit his me. best. <laughs> no, hit me, hit me. Because I think you hated it more than I. I mean, you I, I, I didn't hate I didn't hate it. I just I was just disappointed by it. I mean, I um I I, I mean you could tell it was just it um it was way too easy for him. Mm-hmm. It, it was just uh for him, it was just. Oh, well, who were we talking uh, about? Who were we talking about? Steven Spielberg and uh, Eric Roth. Uh, was it Eric Roth, the writer? Tony Kushner. T- Tony Kushner. Okay, yeah. But I mean, I mean, and Tony Kushner is basically, you know, he's writing for Spielberg. They both, they both wrote the, the screenplay. The West, what? Oh, West Side Story. Yes, they both were. Also, they did Munich together, I believe. And you know, the Fablemans is kind of loosely based on Spielberg's life growing up in. Um, all, um, and, uh, Arizona in 1950s and, and also kind of goes, the, goes into the, the 60s. Yeah, all the West Coast. Yeah, and he he it kind of starts with when he's like maybe eight years old, and then it goes into his high school years. Uh, it's 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 look, it's it's about his mother, it's about his father, it's about him growing up as a wannabe filmmaker and learning about the the power of filmmaking and really, I mean, it's 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 a it's a overly sentimental film. Yes. 
Yes. But I think there's some parts, and especially when you get to that last part of the, you know, the, the second act and the third act, I think it becomes a much better film. The first act feels so bad where I go, uh-oh, are we in for a bad time? Because like, it, it was so kind of sentimental and like sugary. I'm like, oh my God, this is going to be bad. And then it, 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 it stops being that. And then slowly but surely it gets when he once he gets to his high school years which is you know it takes us it takes us time to once we get to his high school years but i found all that all that stuff more interesting and uh yeah i i i think i had a much better time watching the movie but apparently you didn't you, you just you no just i just like don't me. i i i i really don't give a shit about um his mother i mean <laughs> um uh um I, i'm i don't i don't see through it I yeah, see I through do, the bullshit. I don't like Michelle Williams in the movie. Yeah. I don't think uh, she deserves this recognition or this kind of buzz that she gets. I yeah. see her acting in the movie. Yes. Yeah. I see her kind of like playing up this kind of, you know, I'm Peter Pan, you yeah, know, yeah, kind yeah. of attitude. It's, 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 it's too, uh, it's just too, uh, um, it, it, it's too imaginary. It's all in his mind. Well, it's it's the fablements, right? It's a yeah. fable. It's him kind of thinking back and in this nostalgia I mean, trip. I, you know, look, because I grew up on Spielberg's films, and because I'm fascinated by who he is as a filmmaker and as and why his his family life and how he grew up, how that informed his films. I think that's the reason why I, I like the movie so much. Now, I, I, I don't know if anyone would really kind of care about this movie or care about this kid in the film. You know, the kid's name is Sammy in the movie. Although I would say the the, the kid who's, who I believe his name is Gabriel LaBelle, who plays oh, yeah. Sammy. I think he did a really good job. Is oh, he yeah, play, yeah, yeah. Is he playing Steven Spielberg? Not really. I mean, he's playing like maybe a, a kind of cartoon level. I mean, maybe a, a glossy you know, version of Spielberg. Like, like it's not a real Spielberg, but then again, this is not Spielberg. It's called the Fablemans. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I mean, um, part of me really, really enjoyed the movie. And part of me kind of like wishes that Spielberg go back to where he, he started from. But I think we, he's at a point in his life where he's, he is uh, in a, a transitional part. And well, every, every, everything to me, everything Spielberg has done over the past decade, and this is coming from someone that has not seen the Fable ones yet, but oh. to me, everything that Spielberg has kind of done over the past decade is um, all, you know, is basically the reason why Tarantino wants to retire at 10 films. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and uh and and every spielberg movie i see makes me go like you know tarantino's got a point well i t- well, go yeah ahead, go ahead but it's mostly the writing in, uh, on this film i think and um and it just it just made spielberg too much of a, a mama's, mama's boy, boy. Yeah. mama's boy look i loved him i loved uh bridges of spies which was yeah. a couple years ago i i i'm a fan of ready player one uh, but are these better films than his earlier films? No, of course not. West Side Story was a kind of a turning point for me where I go, oh, maybe Spielberg's getting too old. And The Fatal Bins is like a return to, not form, but it's almost a return to form. Because I think some of the parts in, in The Fatal Bins I thought was really well done. It's I, I don't think it should, I don't know, you know, there's a lot of Oscar talk about the movie. And I don't know if it should get an Oscar nomination. It probably will. And it has a good chance of winning an Oscar, but that's all because, you know, our feelings for Spielberg. I don't think it's the best movie of the year. 
I think it's fine. I think if you really want to understand Spielberg, this is probably the best way to, to you know, I mean, I think this is a great way. It, to it's not a shitty it. movie. It's just, right. it's not a shitty movie. It's just, you know, not Spielberg. It's not, uh, it's not Spielberg. It's, it's not, a poem. I mean, it's like a little, it's a visual poem. It's, it's, it's like almost, it's part, it's, it's, it's part rose colored glasses, but also he, he does deal with some kind of personal issues that we haven't heard him talk about before. Uh, you know, the, 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 you know, we know that he is a child of divorce and he's, he's dealing with divorce, but I, you know what? I don't know if people even give a shit about that. Yeah, I don't know. I really don't know. I I don't think a lot of people are gonna like this movie. I, I'm I'm that's what my that's my bet. Let me let me say this: watching the movie made me appreciate what he did for Catch Me If You Can. Oh, because I went back to watch Catch Me If You Can, and I saw a lot of parallels between the Fablemans and Catch Me If You Can, especially uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's relationship with his father and his mother, and what happened in there. I mean, there's almost exact parallels. And so I think uh, watching Fablemans maybe understood why he some of the movies that he has picked before and what why some of these elements come out in those movies. So I I think in, in that in that way I appreciate the Fablemans for giving me a little bit of insight of what Spielberg is as a filmmaker and why he chose these type of movies that he directed before and why those storylines come out. So I I mean. I think it has merit, and 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 obviously I'm a different person because I love Spielberg movies, you know. But um, I think for the normie audience, I, I don't think it's gonna be. I don't. I don't think people are gonna really enjoy the movie. I think people are just gonna say it's okay. It's an okay movie, but I I I, I liked it more than you did, for sure. Nice. All right, let's get into Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. This will be the last kind of review of it before we end this podcast. Uh, Rich, tell, quickly, tell me your thoughts on Pinocchio. What, 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 did you like Pinocchio? Uh, I liked it more visually than the, the story. I thought it was, um, um, you know, an incredible task, uh, a task of what he did with the film. Mm -hmm. I thought he upgraded the uh, stop motion animation to, you know, to, uh, to what it is today. Mm -hmm. um, but story-wise, um, I thought it was a little, um, the, the, uh, the storytelling wasn't up to par with that um, film. I thought the beginning was probably the best part. The first five minutes, first, first five, 10 minutes mm -hmm. was probably the best part of the film. And then, uh, after uh, Pinocchio, the the birth of Pinocchio, I guess you could say, I didn't I, I didn't enjoy it. You didn't it, like it's, Pinocchio it's, the the character. He was a little bit, he, yeah. uh, you know, he's a little bit pretentious. He's a um, he's a little bit of an asshole. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, but I think that's the that's the the whole part I, of the I knew, story. I knew I knew Richard was going to hate Pinocchio <laughs> because of because of the way he he is in the movie. Yeah, but that's like that. I think that's the story, right? That's the that's the intent of the story. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, also the way that they um, they introduce him, I mean, like uh, like um, he got along with the, the um, what's his name, uh, Geppetto. Geppetto. Oh yeah, him and Geppetto's connection was way too quick for me. Mm -hmm. I thought they should have like. Um, really, I thought it took a while. No, it, it, it for was an animated film. Yeah, I mean it, it it, and then for him to be associated with the other. Uh, um, humans in the in the that uh the area whatever mm -hmm. i thought it's just another i mean 
well, a little too quick for that too. Let me say this. You know, Guillermo del Toro sets this in in Italy in uh, fat fascist Italy. This is during the time of um, the what's uh what's the what's the Mussolini. Mussolini 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 Benito Mussolini. He actually appears in the film as a, in puppet form, voiced by uh Tom uh, Kenny. Who yeah, SpongeBob. Is, uh, SpongeBob, which is, uh, I thought that was funny. Um, and he has like a, f- a funny little, you know, he is a caricature. He's fun. He's like a, they make a, they make fun of him, right? Um, yeah, look, I, I look, I, I, I should come out and say that I fell asleep <laughs> when I went back to rewatch it. And I, I, I have a total respect of the movie. It, it's, it's really is a, I don't know if it's a dark film, but it's a sad film. And I think sometimes, when we think of sad children's films, we want to put a negative connotation on it. But I think it's a beautiful film. I think the beginning is very beautiful. I think the ending is very beautiful. We may disagree in the in the in the middle and what happens in the middle, but I think ultimately, I, I think it's a it's a well worth a watch. And definitely, definitely, if you got Netflix, well, the middle def- the middle is probably when it's trying to be the most faithful to um to the story. Mm-hmm. And it also it's also probably the most rushed part of the story as well, probably yeah. because that's the part they kind of just they were obligated to put in there. Mm-hmm. If they took that part out, then it wouldn't be Pinocchio anymore <laughs> in many ways, you know. Well, I mean, I loved I loved that the Guillermo del Toro kind of he is he he's always been a fan of this story. He tells us, you know, he says about. And you, well, you guys didn't watch the uh, the Robert Zemeckis Disney remake, right? No, no, no. no. Yeah, that's you were you were saying that's a terrible, terrible film. Yeah. Everyone's saying that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I you know to learn about a little bit about Guillermo del Toro that you know that he has a personal uh, investment with this with Pinocchio. He, he grew up on Pinocchio. His mother introduced Pinocchio to him. It was one of the first movies he saw as a child. His mother passed away right before the movie premiered. Yeah, in, that's in, so. in, this year. So, there, I, and I think you could feel in in a. In a, in a you know, in a um, uh, in a way, you could feel that that there is a passion behind the film. I think that's what you could, you, that's what I get out of it. You know, I think that, and then there's a lot of films where you, you, there's that, that you feel there's no passion, there's no nothing, there's no kind of human touch to it. But you, I think you feel with Pinocchio a intention, a a deliberate kind of a way of telling a story. Uh, and I, I, like I said, I think the ending is, is, is tremendously sad and but poetic. I think the beginning was ter- oh, not terrible, but terribly emotional. So, uh, yeah. So I, I, there's there's parts of it I really really enjoyed. But to be honest, I think it's it's uneven. It feels a little uneven for me. But I do like the movie a lot. And obviously, I guess uh, Raymond, you love this movie. This is you probably you're the one who loved the movie the most out of us three. Maybe yeah, I have it. I mean, number seven. I mean, my list of top ten of the year. Mm-hmm. I mean, it made my list. Um, I I think the movie should be nominated for best picture. Wow. Um, mm-hmm. mo- and, and big part, and big part, mostly because I really don't think a lot of the Oscar kind of movies this year really deserve to even be nominated. You know, a lot of these movies that you know are going for the Oscars. It's like you guys aren't good enough this year. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, and that and I think that lets movies like Pinocchio slide in. Yeah, yeah, like Tar. Tar's should have been. <laughs> I think I think that's the same thing that happened in. Um, I think it was two thousand eight. I could be maybe I'm mistaken on the year, but the year that Up 
an Avatar got nominated for Best Picture. Another movie that got a couple other movies, if I remember correctly, that got nominated for Best Picture that year were like um, D- District Nine, mm-hmm. and I think The Blind Side <laughs> even got nominated for Best Picture. Like it was, it was one of those years where they were like, it was just there, there was nothing to nominate. It, you know what I mean? Hurt Locker, I think, won Best Picture that year, and you know, Hurt Locker's a decent movie, but it's like there was really like there was nothing that year. And I think that's we're gonna have a year like that where it's like they're kind of, they're gonna be desperate for nominations. They're like, what do we nominate? Uh, Top Gun, uh, Pinocchio. <laughs> we we can't nominate Babylon. We were we were we were hoping to nominate that, but <laughs> everyone hates it. Well, it's I'm gonna be one of those years. You know I, I mean? uh, after watch rewatching Top Gun Maverick over the past weekend, I I would say that I wouldn't mind uh, Top Gun Maverick getting nominated for Best Picture or even winning for Best Picture. We because might see Wakanda Forever get nominated for Best Picture. It could be. It could be. Uh, but I, I think Top Gun Maverick, because of the way it's 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 so precise with Basic. its edits and its storytelling and the simplicity of the film, and I, I even though it's a blockbuster, it's you know it's meant to like kind of be this crowd pleaser. I think there's valid to one. it, and it's it's very hard to get that that right. You know, there's so many things that this movie could get wrong, and it didn't. And I think I think, I mean, look, look, I, you know me. When I first saw that movie in the summer, I'm like, what's the what's the big deal of this movie? I I don't get it. I mean, I don't know why this is making so much money. It's a it's not that yeah, great. Yeah, you kind of okay. got mad at me for liking the movie. Yeah. <laughs> but I think after this year, particularly this year, after watching so many movies where I was so disappointed, like Tar, <laughs> which I hate, and I can't believe it's on like everyone's number one list, but I just don't like that movie. After watching like you know movies that you know I don't agree with or think it's a little pretentious or or maybe was an okay like the fablements it's just an okay movie i get, i appreciate what top gun maverick is and it, it's 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 oh so you like top gun maverick more than fablements yeah after oh wow after, fablements must suck then because you know, I, I know how you feel about top gun maverick well the, the problem with the fablements is that i think it, because i know him i know some of the personal stories of spielberg and know his work i have a greater insight of what the movie is trying to say. I don't think most people know that. I don't think really most people know who Steven Spielberg is. They might have heard his name and they might know E.T., but I don't think they know his filmography. And like I was saying, like when when I saw The Fablemans, it reminded me of Catch Me If You Can. It reminded me of some of all that kind of uh, divorce stuff that he did prior to some of his, you know, his movies. E.T. is about divorce, you know. Uh, and it made me understand why he was so kind of ups now I wouldn't say upset, but so it, it's integral to his film making the, his relationship with his father, the relationship with his mother. I mean, Indiana Jones, uh, last crusade is about Indiana Jones who can't, you know, have this relationship with his father. And some of that is in the Fableman. So that's why I like the movie. You know, it really kind of opened me up to some of his filmography, but I don't think a lot of people are going to have that same experience. Didn't George Lucas write that movie? Yeah, but I mean, it is. But I mean, they're both they're both producers, and they're it, it, it's clearly I don't, I don't know how any of that stuff works. <laughs> but it's it's clearly it's clearly like all kind of related to 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 how he tells how he tells the relationship, right? And mm-hmm. so I and so, so then, what you're then, saying is the Fablemans is a remake of uh, of Indiana Jones uh, <laughs> and the Last Crusade. 
but with no action. I think if you're not very, if you're not familiar with Spielberg, I don't think you're going to have a great time. But I can't, I can't, I could, I, I, the reverse or the opposite is that when you, when you, I, well, when I, don't, comes... I don't think that's fair. I think even if you do feel like other, like Spielberg movies because of, you know, what, what he was going through and what he, how, you know, how he put those moments in, in his films because of uh, certain, the way certain things affected him. I think either of you know that, even if you know that for a lot of people, it's still like, eh, who cares? <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That could be a two. That could be two. That could be a, a reason too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think. Even our idea of divorce nowadays, I don't think really even really care. That's not a big issue now nowadays. Not really. No. Yeah, you know, and it, it was problems. Uh, yeah, it's it's such a, a 80s and 90s thing when I was growing up and watching the films. Divorce was a major major thing, a major issue. So so this being a movie about divorce and how that affected pe- the, the children in that family, particularly Steven Spielberg. I don't know if people even care, like, or people just say get over it. You know, like get over it, man. Um, and you know, that's another reason why I think, uh, people wouldn't really find that movie that entertaining on the, on the opposite side though. I think anyone could watch Top Gun Maverick and have, have a good time watching it. I mean, it it shows on the box office, right? It's one of the best movies. It is the best, uh, the biggest movies, uh, biggest box office movie of the year. So I, I think there's something difficult to achieve that's a difficult achievement and i think because it's a difficult achievement it deserves an oscar trophy either best picture best editing best whatever i mean i I think the cinematography in top gun maverick is fantastic give that an oscar you know the only thing i would say the acting is okay even tom cruise's acting is not that great but it, it it's but it's not a movie about great acting moments it's about great no, kind of it's about, yeah. it's about great kind of you know story arcs and you know mission accomplished type of <laughs> things you know and it's, yeah so i don't know i, I think top Gun Maverick, about um patriotism <laughs> it's about, it's the, mil- about the mighty american military <laughs> yeah it's about the fond farewell to iceman yeah a good movie um i still think best picture uh, winner should be the Batman. <laughs> okay, there you go. All right, with that, we'll say goodbye on this episode, our last episode, our last podcast episode for 2022. Thank you for listening to Insight Flicks. Uh, we'll hopefully be back next year on a more weekly basis. Maybe we'll we'll, we'll figure out a schedule. All right, bye bye, everyone. <laughs>